we're on a series right now that we've been calling Faith Does. Um, the idea behind this series is, is that it comes from the book of James, and James is practical. Everything about James is practical. He wants us to understand that faith isn't just believing the right things, although that's really important too. It's not just believing the right things, but it's living it out in every area of life. Faith has to have flesh. It has to be embodied. It has to, it has to have shoes on, and it has to be lived out in our lives, in, in our homes, in our family situations, um, in our community, in our church family, and in the places that we work. And so even having this picture in your mind is, is that your faith gets lived out in your shoes. And you think about it is, is where, where are you going to be walking today? You know, going back home. Is going into the workplace, you know, later today or tomorrow, is what does it look like for faith, your faith in Jesus to be lived out every single day? Um, because it's easy for us to talk about or easy for the pastor to talk about and, but it's harder to live out. It's hard for me to live it out. And I, there's a sense in which I get paid to do it. Um, but it's hard for me to live out. And so what does it look like for us to live out our faith in the everydayness of life? Um, while raising kids, while, you know, if you're a teacher, while teaching, um, you know, if you're in agriculture, while in agriculture, what does it look like? Um, some of you are saying it's easier if you don't work around people. And that's true. <laughs> But cows can make you mad too. Um, what does it look like to live out our faith in everyday life? So faith does. Faith does, and you can almost, is, I, maybe I put the um, blank in after the title there. Instead of saying, um, I should, instead of putting faith and then blank, I should, should have said faith does and then blank. And so what does that look like? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. We're in James um, Last week, Kyle was in the first part of James um, chapter 4. James wants us to understand that apart from God, that we live in a very broken world and we are very broken. We see the brokenness in our world, but we also find it in ourselves. And when we do, it should frustrate us. It should frustrate us when we find it in ourselves even more than when we find it in the world. Um, But we should be frustrated that it's both there. Apart from God, we're going to adopt ways of acting ways of behaving, ways even of believing that are hurtful to us and others. You're going to see that in the passages that we're looking at today. One of the things that I said is, is James is really practical. He deals with the real issues of life. So one of the issues that he deals with today is in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And so starting at verse 13, he says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It's kind of an interesting um, passage. It's, it's interesting because um, James is talking about people that are obviously at work in the marketplace and, uh, and they're, they're doing business. Now, understand that James was in somewhat of an agrarian culture and so maybe the business was ranching. Um, or farming, 
Or maybe it was in the marketplace, you know, having some kind of a business selling goods to people. And, and the idea here is that these are people with vision. These are, these are people that they have a goal and, and they have a dream and they're setting out to reach it. And it sounds like what you would read in a good book about entrepreneurism and building a business. It sounds like great advice. It sounds like exactly the kind of thing that we would be told to do if, uh, if we were working with a consultant on starting a business or, or reading a great book. Um, every business book that I know, and I, I actually read um, a fair number of business books. I, I like um, reading in that area. Um, a lot of the business books that I've read, they encourage people to set that vision, to have goals for how to grow a business and to, and to really have a goal for how much money that you want to make year to year. I don't think James is against planning. I don't think that that's the heart of what he's talking about. And I don't think that he's against godly ambition. On the surface, this passage seems like good business sense. The problem is, that it ignores God. And, and we could basically ag- agree with him here, but, you know, we forget how often we ignore God in all of our planning. We might as well call it practical atheism. Is that we may believe in God, we may say that we trust him, but it's so easy to go about planning life and not include God. Practical atheism is, is that, is that, you know, even if we believe in God, we're living practically as if there is no God in all of our planning. In our arrogance, we make bold statements about what we're going to do, about the goals that we want to achieve, about the amount of money that we want to make. I mean, to a great extent, is, is a lot of life today is about making enough money that we can put enough aside so that when we retire, we can golf a lot and go on a lot of trips and, you know, those kinds of things. And those things in and of themselves, they're not bad. But the danger is, is that we're living for the wrong things and with the wrong focus. It's easy to ignore the fact that everything here is temporary. It's all temporary. Even our bodies are temporary. You know, the first century followers of Jesus, they really embedded this into their minds. In fact, they, said, they, they would encourage each other as we are foreigners and aliens in a strange land. Guess what the strange land was? Right here, right now. We're foreigners and aliens. And they believed this to the extent that the Apostle Paul called the body that we live in, he called it a tent. Saying that, you know, tents, you don't live in a tent forever. If you do, it gets really miserable really fast. Gets holes in it. The rain comes in. The wind can blow it down. Some of us are starting to, to figure this out. These bodies don't work as well as they used to. The, part of the reason why I um, have been sitting on Sunday mornings 
is not because I just want to be comfortable, but because I, I, I have one foot that's been giving me problems, and usually by the time services are done, um, it, it's, it's painful enough that it's hard to walk. These bodies, they wear out on us. They cause us problems, even when we're young. They can cause problems, which is why we need to pray for Kennedy. And, uh, and so we got to remember how temporary life is. We should yearn towards living a long life, but not so that we can be comfortable, but so that we can honor God in every bit of life that he gives us. There's nothing wrong with wanting to live a long life, and there's nothing wrong even with, with, um, with taking all of the resources that God gives us and using those resources well. It's not, it's not James is not saying, don't plan, um, you know, be poor. He's not saying that. Um, he's just being, he's just saying is, is be very careful about your focus. Everything here is temporary. Everything that we have right now can disappear. One of the reasons our modern world struggles so much with wanting comfort and recreation and material things is because we are trying to make earth heaven. It's part of the reason why debt is such a significant issue. I mean, you think about it is, is we're generating over a trillion dollars a year in debt as a nation. And both political parties are increasing it like crazy. And we like to get down on what's happening in Washington, D.C., but statistically speaking, debt isn't just a national problem. In general, it is a problem in most people's lives. We're trying to get ahead. We're trying to make things happen. We even get ahead of ourselves a little bit. We can get presumptuous. Just like what James is talking about is these people are presumptuous. Hey, we're going to go to this city. We're going to take a year. We're going to make a lot of money. But not really honoring God in that. Not praying. Not saying, hey, God, what's your will? And James is saying is is really, really press into the will of God. God, if it's your will, then we're going to do this, but we're going to do it seeking to honor you first and foremost. That's not something that happens a lot in our world today. It, It would be helpful for us to remember the words of the hymn, this world is not my home. Here's, here's the verses, and we can throw them up on the screen. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, sometimes we're longing for the things that this world can provide for us. And you know what I want to say? Is I want to say that that's good. is hold on to that. When you're in need or when you see other people that are getting ahead in life, hold on to that. But then remember, that's the way that I'm supposed to feel because this world can never provide me with what I truly need or even with what I should want. Only heaven can give me that. So we should always feel dissatisfied with this world. 
but not necessarily because we're wanting what this world can give us, but because we'll never have what we need until we get to heaven. Oh Lord, you know that I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We sing words like that, but for the most part, we don't live them. We feel very at home in this world. And we're trying to make it more comfortable. We're trying to have more fun. And again, is, is, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with, with living you know, life well, but there is something wrong with living it without recognizing that we should be living it for God first and foremost and that everything that we have is really God's and so we have to be very careful about how we use it. People sometimes used to give me advice. Um, I used to hear this a lot when I was younger um, that people would say, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Our problem today is we're so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. And that really is, is that if we're heavenly minded, we can think about is, is, hey, how can we be God's representatives, a little bit of heaven touching earth? You know, even that prayer is, is to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that our days here lived within the will of God is, is God, we want your will to be done here as it is in heaven, but we know that the fullness of that will never fully be experienced in the here and now. But one day, you'll make everything that's wrong right. And it's interesting because if you read Revelation, is, is there's a sense in which heaven comes down to earth is that God comes and that there's a new, it says new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth. Just interesting. So that's a whole nother sermon. Um, so James continues in James chapter five. He continues talking about wealth and he gets even more blunt. Okay, James five, one through six. Now listen, you rich people. I purposely use that tone. <laughs> Weep and wail. Because of the misery that is coming on you, your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Wow, that's encouraging, right? Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. James starts this passage and he says, now listen. It's actually the second time that he's used that because in the passage that I just read before, he says, now listen. Is don't, don't presume to do things without God. And now he says, now listen, rich people. He's saying, come on now. That's another way, if you look at the original language, he's saying, come on. 
Pay attention, you rich people. And you know, as much as I would like to, you know, apply this to other people, here's the truth. My home is 10 times the size of the home of over 2 billion people. Sometimes we think that we're not rich. My home is 10 times the size of over 2 billion people. Now listen. He wants his readers to pay special attention. Some readers are being specifically addressed because they're perpetrators. The people that were reading James's letter, certainly the first encouragement is, is hey, don't get presumptuous and, and go out and make plans without the Lord. Is I think that that was even more directly related to the people that were reading the letter. Now he's speaking to people that might not be reading the letter. Is there, there are people that, um, that have been abused by wealthy people. But even within the church, there's, there's wealthy people that live life as though the way that they live doesn't matter. It's interesting to me is, is years ago, while I was going to seminary, I did some studies in the area of, of, of the marketplace. And WorldCom and Enron, WorldCom was led by a Christian who stole hundreds of millions of dollars and drove the company into the ground and the people that were working there, a lot of them lost everything. They lost their retirements and it was, it was a guy who claimed to be a Christian that was leading it. Unbelievable wealth was flowing through his hands. Enron. Um, it's very easy to take advantage of people and to enrich oneself to the harm of others. Is occasionally, you know, I, I read about um, believers have to be very careful. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself, but believers have to be very careful about um, one is, is having some level of transparency um, about the way that we live life and make money and use money. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon also. I could preach a lot of sermons. Um, James, when he says, listen, he's encouraging us that it's better to trust in God and to seek his will to make our own plans. And listen, it's better to be generous than to hoard wealth. When James says, you rich people, he's not condemning wealth. He's condemning the hoarding of wealth at the sake of other people. He says, your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion, and that word corrosion in the original language, it literally carries the connotation of poison. Their poison will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And the idea there is, is that we never know when God is going to bring to conclusion history as we know it. And we're called to live as though we are in the last days. 
And that because God can draw history to a conclusion at any time, is we need to be careful to be very generous, not to hoard. So what is James doing with all of this? And what does this have to do with living a life of faith? James wants us to understand, if you kind of put this in the context of the whole letter of James, James wants us to understand that there's two kinds of wisdom. And he actually tells us exactly what those two kinds of wisdom are. He says that one is earthly wisdom. And earthly wisdom carries with it some, some characteristics that we have to be aware of. Two aspects of earthly wisdom are bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. James 3, verse 4. is selfish ambition and, and bitter jealousy. Um, he also addresses the danger of an uncontrolled tongue. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He compares the tongue to a forest fire that with one wrong word, it can set a fire that will burn and destroy. Earthly wisdom, the way that we talk. It, it carries with it the I'm right and you're wrong kind of attitude. Is that even if we don't say it, it carries with it a lot of pride that says, I know what I know and you're just dumb. That's really the, the pride that's there. And I think the problem with a lot of our disagreements a lot of the disagreements, and this is one thing that Christians have to be careful of because we have, we have the word of God and, and we're, we're encouraged um, to live lives that are, that are based on high ideals. We're encouraged to live good lives and moral lives. But there's an extent to which that can become prideful. And my mom used to say this quite often. She could say, you can be absolutely right in your content, but you can be totally wrong in your delivery. So you can have, you can have the right words, but because of the wrong behavior, it all comes across as wrong. And so we have to be careful to to put our beliefs together with the way that we deliver our words so that our message isn't distorted. Pride says, I'm right. James says, hey, before you get into an argument or a conflict, look under the hood of your life. Look at the root of your desires because it's your desires that cause so much conflict in life. Earthly desires, earthly wisdom. And James is warning us about the dangers of worldly wisdom and so he addresses selfish ambition and jealousy, James 3.14, fights and quarrels, James 4.1, pride, James 4.6, slander, James 4.11, and then there's the passages that we're in today um, where there's other kinds of dangers like boasting, like materialism, like hoarding wealth. And all of these things are characteristic of a more earthly wisdom. 
But there's another kind of wisdom. And it doesn't come from self-help books or a college degree. In James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, James says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And we desperately need peacemakers today. We need peacemakers in the church because there's even a lot of conflict in churches. We need peacemakers in the workplaces of our world. We need peacemakers in politics who can stand on good policy and who can, who can promote, promote the health of the community and the state and the nation. But while they're standing on good policy and good principles, they're also careful about their tone and that they represent, and we need Christians in these positions, and that they represent God even more than they represent their nation. But that they do it with such a good tone that even if people disagree with them, they, they, they're doing it from a heart of peace. Is what does it look like to have a heart of peace in our marriages? A heart of peace as we're raising our kids, a heart of peace as we're in the, the workplace. What does that look like? Because... Um, this kind of wisdom, it's heaven. It's from heaven, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James is forever directing our attention to a different kind of wisdom that comes from above. Otherwise, it comes from outside of us. We, could, we would do well to ask the question is, is this my wisdom right now? Or is this a wisdom that comes from outside of my realm of thinking. Is this a wisdom that comes from God? James isn't the only one that does this. Paul in Colossians 2, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In chapter one, James also refers to this. In James 1.17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting of shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. We know this because of Jesus. We know that God wants our good. He wants good for us. Because when he looked at the brokenness of this world, even all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when this brokenness had entered in and the world would now be characterized by sin and death, He didn't curse Adam and Eve. He pronounced what had already become true because of sin. It's because of what's happened. You're under the curse that comes from brokenness. You're doing things on your own, wanting to be your own God. And so everything's cursed. And yet in there, there's there's a hint of what he wants. And yet there will be a day that it'll all be turned around. And even in Genesis, there's a, there's a small indication that one day that God's gonna reverse the curse, and here's how he does it. 
is he takes on flesh. He leaves heaven. He's born as a baby. He places himself under the care of his own creation. He lives the life that we can't live. He embodies wisdom, a wisdom that comes from heaven. He shows us what a good life looks like. He shows us what love looks like. And he does it all the way to the cross. And he submits himself to the cross where death and sin seem like they win. You see, our two biggest issues are the things that we absolutely cannot deal with our own. We cannot deal with sin and we cannot deal with death on our own. They characterize this world. And so he chooses to deal with what we deal with. He chooses to deal with sin. And the Bible says that he, bec- he, he becomes sin on the cross. That he takes the sin, we give him our sin. And when we put our faith in him, he gives us his purity, his goodness. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, his good can be at work in each one of us. And so we put our faith in the one who is good, the one who has dealt with sin and death. We put our faith in him, knowing that someday, that what we're beginning to taste right now, that that goodness from above, we get a taste of it now through Jesus Christ but we will experience it fully when God draws our history to an end and when we get to see more of his story, his history. We can't even conceive how beautiful that will be. Our finite minds cannot understand the beauty and the love that God will bring about someday. What we can do here and now is we can recognize that the way things are are not the way that they should be. And we can recognize that there's an earthly wisdom that will not get us anywhere but in trouble. But there is a heavenly wisdom and that it comes from above because every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change, which that's encouraging to me because life is changing and a lot of times it's not for the good. But there's one who doesn't change. He is always good. He is always loving. He always cares for us even when our circumstances don't say so. And that we can know that... um, that this world does not hold a lot of promise for us, but there is one who is the promise. And he gives us himself and his promises. Let's pray.
if you haven't put your faith in Jesus. Just scripture, I'm just reminded of the simplicity of scripture. For God so loved the world. And you, you can put your name in there, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And it goes on to say, as is it, the world's condemned. And it, it, it's because it's just, a, it's just proclaiming the truth. The world is condemned. But that condemnation is something that we don't have to live under or in. Because Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Your sin does not condemn you if you're in Christ. And so if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that I just want to encourage you to do that. Jesus, you can just say, Jesus, thank you. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. I put my trust in you. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, to just say, Jesus, help me to have that wisdom that comes from you and to live it out in everyday life. Lord, thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.